Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, my name is John Kennedy and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is Dave Bailey from the band Glass Animals. Glass Animals are a four-piece band from England featuring Dave Bailey as frontman and guitarist, Drew McFarlane on guitars and keys, Edmund Irwin Singer on bass and keyboards and drummer Joe Seawood. Dave and Joe were childhood friends but didn't start making music together until they finished school. Throughout this period, Dave wrote and recorded songs in his spare time, eventually asking the other members to join him, and after various incarnations, Glass Animals was born. In 2012, while studying at university, they released their debut EP, Leaflings. Dave had planned to go on to medical school after graduation, but the band soon captured the attention of acclaimed producer Paul Epworth, which led him to signing them to his label, Wolf Tone Records. Their first release together was the Glass Animals EP, featuring the single Black Mambo, and in 2014 came their debut album Zaba. The band spent much of the next two years touring the world, gathering stories from the people they encountered along the way, the tales of which became the lyrical inspiration for their second album, How To Be A Human Being, released on Wolf Tone in August 2016. Today, however, I'm here at Dave's home studio in London Fields to talk about how Glass Animals recorded and produced their first album, Zaba. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Black Mambo. Well, Backseat or play pharaoh. Dance with me and shake your bones. Slow down, society. Black Mambo, Glass Animals. Dave, thank you so much for welcoming us to your home studio, your new home studio. Yeah, it still smells like paint in here. It's lovely though, it's so quiet sounding. So have you recorded anything yet here? I literally plugged in all the electronics yesterday. It's got a, um, yeah, seems like it's all working. Fingers crossed. So but nothing, be a- <laughs> nothing's been recorded. I made one beat last night and that's it. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. So this can be a dry run in a way, just seeing if things actually... This is a test. So if it, if it all goes tits up, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to go back in time, all the way back to Zaba, the debut album. Yeah. And some of the songs which are probably, you know, predating the release of that album, obviously, you know, maybe a a couple of years. Yeah, that feels like a long time ago. Mm. A lot has happened, but um, I'm happy to try and try and remember, scrape my brain for what's left of it. Yeah. Excellent. So we're going to discuss three songs, Gooey, Hazy and Toes from the album. Black Mambo also features, which we've just heard. That's on the record. Um, So, I mean, my impression of how you work, Dave, with Glass Animals is that you're alone in a room somewhere and creating sounds, looping things, experimenting, and then you share that with the band or the other members who became the band um, and try and get them to get involved and maybe actually be able to play these things as as a group. Yeah, I mean, they're amazing musicians. They can play everything really well, and I can't. Um, so I do a kind of rubbish uh, demo recording. So, you know, some sometimes, de- like, 
the hazy, for instance, we'll go on to later was just that was just me on my computer and it made it onto the record. Um, and and sometimes it needs that musicianship that I can't really handle. Um, so I you know, get Ed to play the bass line a bit better and put some fills in and Drew will come in and do some key stuff and Joe can go crazy on the drums. Um, that kind of happens at, a, at quite a late stage. Mm. So, I mean, th- this setup you've got now um, is a bigger grown-up version of what you might have had originally. Is, yeah, am this I, is, am I, mean, I right in thinking that? This is way more grown-up. <laughs> we I started just making it in my bedroom. Like mm. The first album was basically made sitting on my bed. Um, it was a little room in my mum's house um, and did it all there and then went to do some, Paul let us have his studio to do some of the more complicated bits. Um, yeah, we when we went to that studio, it was like data collection, like we were so sp- spoiled compared to being in my bedroom. We'd just record everything that we could um, and take it away and mess with all those parts because that was like gold. Yeah. And um, of the three tracks we're going to listen to, um, how many were recorded at Paul's studio or, or were worked up at Paul's studio as well? Um, of the, th- I think Toes was m- kind of half done in Paul's studio because I, I brought that in in a really early stage. Um, Gooey was maybe like a quarter done in Paul's studio and um, Hazy was totally done just in the bedroom. That was like really f- late addition to the album. Yeah. Um, it was really the rest, the album was finished. And then um, I s- woke up in the middle of the night and just, yeah, it came out super quickly and played it to the guys. And they were like, cool, let's put it on the album. Wow. Amazing. So, which do you think we should look at first or listen to first? Because what we thought we'd do is uh, play a section of the yeah. finished track and cool. then and then break it all down. So, in terms of that. I'd do Gooey first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's hear some Gooey uh, as it. Yeah. <laughs> ended up on the album and and then we're gonna kind of break it down and see how it all began This is Gooey by Glass Animals as it ended up on the debut album Zaba and we're going to kind of break it down now with a little help from Dave himself. So Dave, when you came up with Gooey um, in your bedroom, uh, where, where was the bedroom located? This was, so I, I think I was kind of lying to my mum about still being at university at this point. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I think I was still living in London. This is Old Kent Road. Um, a while ago, yeah, eight years ago, or something. no less than that, six years ago. Yeah, yeah. So in theory, you were a student, um, but in reality, you were in your bedroom mm-hmm. making beats, just making beats. Is it? it yeah. Is how does it work? Does it begin with a, a rhythm? Rhythm seems such a key part of of the group. It depends. Each each song's a bit different. I think with the latest album, it was 
done backwards the first the first album was very much music first then lyrics and words and latest album was lyrics and and the vocal melody first and then went back and did the music to fit around that um but this one i actually dug up the original voice memo so quite often what happened making this record is i'd sit up in the middle of the night and have like a little idea a little nugget in my head and um in this case it was the bass line i can play that really yeah well. that'd be great boom 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 that's it amazing that's, that's the, the starting point um, and then what did you do next then so that was recorded in the middle of the night that into was, your phone yeah exactly and then what I guess the next step would have been um, turning that bass line into a a synth sound into a bass sound mm. and I was obsessed with this do you remember that artist Benga mm, yeah. I was obsessed with Benga being from s- South London and he was from Croydon is that like he had this amazing album called Diary of an Afro Warrior that mm. was I was obsessed with his like bass sound and his drum programming um, and I watched this interview with him on YouTube and he used this synth called Albino by Rob Pappen and it's still to this day it's pretty much well, I've, I've used it on almost everything we've ever done. Wow. Um, so I got up my Albino synth and I started... So is this a computer program then? This is just, yeah, it's a little um, V-synth and it's really versatile. Um, I always start with a sine wave, create a sine wave. Um, for so- I, I have never really had anything in key. I don't know why. I'd, I always change the, like, so I've got it pitched up about eight cents so it's slightly out of key for some reason. I, you'll notice every song is slightly out. Right. This has become a signature sound. It's yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What, it just makes everything sound a bit wonky. And you can turn thing. You can make things kind of sharp, a little bit sharp if you want them to stand out. A lot of the time, mm. um, I think a lot of singers do that really well. If they want their vocal to particularly cut, they can sing a little bit sharp, and it, yeah, it just really adds a bit of extra emotion. Yeah. Um, but I guess I just translated that. Um, voice memo I'd made with my mouth into an actual like so you fed that into Albino fed, yeah, well I I just I played it in yeah, I, you know, right. I had the the notes in my head and would have just played it into the computer with a keyboard right and so this that we're hearing in the background this is the bass line yeah which came from from that original vocal thing um, I think I've pitched it up a little bit here Mm. at this point just because it was probably a bit too low in the in register I've yeah I wanted it to sit in a certain place so it, I, I think if anything is going below 40 hertz you start to lose a bit of its potency especially when it starts coming out of a PA system yeah you know? right <laughs> amazing um, so you've got this baseline then as as Albino has line. helped you realise yeah it looks like I then added a bit of an attack to it so I added that to the front just so it, you can hear the kind of stutter of the note a bit more. Added that. And then it looks like what I did next was harmonized it. Um, so you have that playing and then it comes in with this little harmony here. So in this state, you can really relate this to Benga. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, if he inspired you to get hold of this program 
Um, it's, it's quite interesting because then you you take it somewhere else entirely, though, because I think, say, somebody like Benger, and this is meant to be no disrespect to him, but he would continue with these tools and keep them in this kind of sonic world yeah. in a way. Um, but that's not what you do as glass animals, is it? No, I mean, he would have added some kind of huge wobbly bass drop at mm. some point. Um, whereas I, I was also really obsessed with the early caribou stuff. And his thing was always just constantly keeping things building. It was like the build of the song mm. for seven minutes. That was his thing, and I loved it. So that's something else I was kind of trying to gather, get with this song. If you like, the, everything's automated, constantly building throughout the whole length of the song. If you look at the rest of the stems, you can see all the automation lines just going up. Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So, so after adding um, those little bits, I mean, how long is the journey of trying to create the song from from here? Pretty quick. I, when I have an idea that I like, I, th I throw away a lot of things really early. Mm. So sometimes I'll have like one little baseline like that, and I think, oh, it's not good enough to work on. I'll throw it away. Thousands of things go like that, and then once in a while I have one that I think, oh, like there's something in that. Um, so I probably would have spent a couple of hours on it. Um, added some drums, added some other textures, and it all comes together pretty quickly. But I remember parking this one after having the main kind of beat. I put some drums and ambience behind that bass line, and then I remember part thinking, like, oh, that's a beat. I can send it to some hip-hop artist something, and done. Right. Um, and I returned to it a bit later, like a couple of weeks later, and started, uh, I put some chords over the top, and the vocal line popped into my head. Right, that's interesting. So what were the chords that you put on? Well, the chords actually, like, I added these drums first. I, I really like layering kick and snares. So there's like three kick drums going together and three snares going together. So I added that next by the looks of it. It's a little, I think one of them is like a little glock, glockish, I don't know how to pronounce it, glockenspiel. Right thing that I recorded and some little... So snaps. an actual physical glockenspiel? Yeah, well, I probably found, you know, I do this data collection stuff. I walk around with a little voice recorder, stereo voice recorder, and record all sorts of things that sound cool. Um, so I imagine that's something I found in Paul's studio when I was there. Like, right. hit it, or it could have been like a pot yeah. or something. So at this point, you'd already hooked up with Paul? Uh, yes, this was early day. We'd, I'd been in the studio a couple of times at this mm. point, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to go back to Paul in a minute, but yeah. I, I, let's let's hear the evolution to the point where you you put these chords on, and then then once you'd put the chords on, a melody sprung um, to your yeah, mind. Yeah, so there's probably by the looks of it, this ambience thing came in. I'm trying to see what else. Oh yeah, here there's this little um, it's a little drip. You can hear very quiet. I actually, so this drip um, is, it's definitely something I recorded at Paul's place. I'd been, I remember being in Paul's place for like a day and recording all sorts of things. And this is a, if I get the raw audio, so that's it. I'm just like playing different notes of this. So what would you have, it's. So what I actually recorded sounds like. That's it. It's a guitar thing, which actually, if I zoom way forwards in the recording, turns out it's a guitar line 
from Flip, the first song on the record. Wow. Um, and it's just, I guess it's something, I, yeah, you might recognize that little riff. But if you go right to the beginning of it, it's got that little, like, kind of mistake almost. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, you described <laughs> it as a drip, and it does sound like a drip. So, that, so that's, yeah, that's the, like, the drip But it is actually pitched. an instrument. That's yeah, the interesting thing. Yeah, and I pitched thing. it way up. It's a guitar, somehow. Um, and weirdly, that that one guitar recording ends up featuring in almost every, like, it features in Hazy and Tote, like, I can show you a bit <laughs> later. Um, I told you about this weird data yeah. collection thing I had. But that is you playing the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so just fiddling around on, on a guitar that was in Paul's studio. Yeah, and yeah. I kind of put it out over a keyboard, put some reverb and chorus on it, and there you go. Mm. Yeah, that's the drip. What else have I got in this original demo? It's so weird looking at all this. Uh, it looks like I then did the vocal, the very early beginnings of the vocal. So we've got... not actually totally sure what, what it's going to sound like, but... So what's that thing that came in? Oh, the, little the little chiming thing. I Let's find it. So that's the early first vocal. Weird. But that's interesting because, I mean, it seems quite a complete vocal in many ways. Yeah, I quite often just sit down, see what comes out. And normally within the first couple of tries, you've got something that's almost finished. Mm. And the, the kind of nuggets of lyrics already... I don't know, I could hear a few of the same lyrics ended up in the same yeah, <laughs> in the final yeah. version. Yeah, it's really weird listening back to that. Yeah. Which is version one, basically. Version one. Wow. Yeah. So this really is version I mean one. it's fascinating that you know, within a, a few a few hours, well or even less, you 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 got that far. I imagine this is really like the second probably the second version properly. The first version I know didn't have a vocal on it, but I think it was identical mm. aside from that. Um yeah, this plinky thing. What's this? Yeah, it looks like it's another sample, just like a one note. There's the original. <laughs> and I've just pitched it up until it and sounds... what was that? Was that a bell? Yeah, some kind of metal, metal bell thing. I don't know, probably hit some big pot. I, right. I like using things around me a yeah. lot of the time. Like the most valuable tool you have is your mouth and your you know, all that percussion, mm. you can just make pretty much any sound you want with your body if you want to. Um, but I also, you know, ventured out into the house sometimes and got a pot and I'd have a sound in my head and I'd run around hitting things until I found it. Right, I see. And so you're there kind of recording it all and then you go yeah. back to the laptop and, and plug it into that. And plug it in. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I'll hit something like that and think like, oh, I could definitely turn, make that into the sound that I mm. need cool got it and then you run back and then i run back i'm normally just like trying to get it done quickly Mm. so a lot of these recordings are really bad i imagine actually this one's all right normally you can hear me like kind of 
coughing or sneezing and you can hear my feet shuffling around and some distortion and sometimes the mic hits the whatever I'm trying to record. Yeah. Like they're normally awful. Uh, but that one turned out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very impressive. And it could sound like a, you know, a great big bell. I know it, you know, it could be. Yeah, you can use it for anything. You know, I can pitch it right, right down and have a gong, pitch it right up, and you've got the plinky thing. Mm. <laughs> Fantastic. So that you capture that sound, run back in, and, and add it to the track. Drop it in, mm. put it out over the, lay it out over the keyboard, and, um, and play the. I don't know. Mess around till I have a riff. Yeah, amazing. And so, um, what came next then? I mean. Well, it looks like I added a bit of percussion at that point. There's a, some shakers, mm. and the, you can hear a little riff. Dun, 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 dun. That didn't make it into the final version by the sounds of it. That's actually the same guitar sound used to make the drip. Right. from that same guitar recording. Um, yeah, so that's demo one. Let me get up demo two here. So, I mean... it. I'm getting the impression that you already know your way around this equipment that you're using. You know, so you already know that, oh, well, if I want the bass sound to resonate properly, I needed to do it at 40 hertz or, you know, what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, but that was stuff. You know, I used to DJ a bit mm. when I was, um, you know, 17, 18, just to make a bit of money. Um, I used to play, open up fabric. Wow. <laughs> was, yeah, yeah, it was really... I mean, there's no one there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, but you got to play music was, yeah. on a big sound system. And it helped me learn about what comes out of a PA and what sounds good out of, out of a sound system. And um, some songs have stuff that's just too low mm. to come out of the sound system. And you, I started thinking about that and which drums hit the best. And um, some songs don't have space to, to let the vocal breathe. And you, yeah, you start just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, say, you know, working out which drums hit the best, how did you know what those drums were that were hit, hitting the best? You know, how did you explore that information or find that information? Uh, I'd quite like, sometimes you just, you know, there was no one in the room when I was playing in, in fabric. It was empty. Um, so I'd run out into the dance floor and listen sometimes. And mm. um, some of the drums hit you, some of them didn't. And I'd put those into... In Ableton, there's a like a frequency analyzer called Spectrum. You can put it in and see where the kick, what frequencies are coming out with the kick, and you start to learn about which frequencies, you know, hit you in the chest, which ones slap you in the face, which ones make your tummy rumble, and you can yeah start piecing it together how to EQ your kick so it hits just right. Yeah. So this is all stuff that you're learning yourself through trial and error and investigation yeah because you're boredom. meant to be learning about it so you you kind of abandoned a, a medical career but uh, when you went to university were you were you already on that path yeah i was yeah. i was doing all this stuff yeah you come home from djing and be buzzing on red bull and wouldn't be able to sleep and you'd just be like oh, i've only got three hours till the first lecture until i've got to be in like a dissection or something mm. um so i just stay up doing this yeah it's not much else to do yeah. in South London with yeah. a pair of headphones. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, because um, you know many people would uh, go and do a course in this you know, to find out, because there's so, so much detail in terms of what you can learn about frequencies and, and, and that alone, you know, that it is a, a proper you know, degree course in its, in its own right. But you, you kind of went on your own little journey of discovery and education through... Yeah. Those courses are really, you know, they're good for fast tracking that and mm. telling you where to, where to, what to listen for and 
you know how to how to listen to songs that's pretty useful it would have saved me a lot of time but i, I don't know maybe i listen to things slightly differently because i didn't do those i don't know yeah. i don't know i yeah. don't know but yeah um so it interested uh, me enough to do it yeah it's 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 amazing so the second version do you uh, th- did you manage to find that yeah i did yeah. and like it looks like i've added a couple of little ambient things um but the main thing is that ninth chord opening ninth chord um which i you know when i was doing it i didn't know it was a ninth chord it was just a chord yeah <laughs> just had the piano and just hit the notes that sounded okay the raw stem did you hear right at the beginning of the song so if I break that down to what it started with mm. it's another one shot sample of a vibraphone by the looks of it um, let's see here so I've got it going through two different delays a triplet eighth triplet and an eighth uh, just a normal eighth delay I like doing that and panning one right and one left um, it makes things really wide. I do it on vocals a lot. You have two very differently timed delays. Um, and it kind of swells around your head. So that vibraphone sound, that is this a, is this an electronic keyboard that you're playing or is this the, still a, a computer, a laptop? This is probably a laptop keyboard. Mm. Looking at the chord, it's literally just very basic chord. It's got the ninth on it, but it's just like one blank key in between each of my fingers. Mm. So I probably just sat down with the sound and that was the first thing I hit. And I was like, oh, that works. Cool. Yeah. And in terms of musical education, had you been playing piano? No, not, no. not at all. No, I like I played the guitar mainly. That was, that's still right. my main So, main So instrument. your use of the laptop keyboard is you've been used, using your laptop and using your fingers to use the laptop. So it's not as if you're transposing those uh, those you know, chord shapes that you might have learned from, from playing piano a lot or anything like that? No, I, like I do transpose, like I play chords on the guitar and then sit down at the piano and get the same chords a lot of the time. Mm. I'm a lot quicker with chords on the guitar. And the piano, I'm slowly getting there. I can poke my way around. Yeah. Um, it's a bit tedious. I normally work things out on guitar first. So you've been playing guitar formally or, or just... Mm. Definitely not formally. My cousin got me a guitar when I was 15, maybe mm. 14, 15. Um, he was like my hero, my cousin, because he had a guitar. And, I was, and he was, like showed me all this music. He was listening to Oasis. Um, and yeah, he just brought me a guitar once. He was in the, he lived in America. I was born in America. Yeah. Um, and he came over to visit me and my mum, brought me a guitar. Fantastic. And so that was an electric guitar? Or no, it was no an acoustic, acoustic yeah. like pretty basic acoustic guitar which eventually got stolen which is really sad um but now i've replaced it with a actually cost me five pounds at a market a spanish guitar that i have upstairs in my bedroom um and it had all these stickers on it, animal stickers on it because i think it belonged to some kid but i write everything on that now it's wow. my yeah it's my go-to it's my baby and then re- quite recently i was reading this interview with uh tom morello from rage against the machine he writes everything on on a classic Spanish guitar as well. and <laughs> That I, seems incredible, doesn't it? Obviously. Yeah, I was like, oh, whoa, that's cool. And my theory was that if it, you know, if it sounds good on this, it's going to mm. sound even better when you put a real production behind it. Um, and he thought a similar thing, you know, if his riff sounds heavy on a Spanish classical guitar, it's going to sound really heavy when I put it through my Marshall stack and then through my pedals. So, yeah. 
yeah, he's like one of my heroes. <laughs> right. That's, that's really interesting. But it's interesting also to think that you've got that in mind, but you're doing so much work on the laptop. Yeah, I've, I, a lot of that definitely came from the fact that I couldn't make noise. I had housemates and it this was all happening at like three in the morning. And if I was sitting there playing guitar, I would have had a knock on my door in two seconds telling me to shut up. So I had headphones on and was really just working in the computer a lot of the time and using synths. Mm. That's why I started using synths because they were, only came out the headphones. Right. Yeah. So it, it, a practical solution. Really practical. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise you might have just been using the guitar all the time and, and working in that way if you yeah. had been able to make lots of noise and, and it didn't matter. Yeah, it could have been really different. And I think also like there's the kind of ethereal, like using all the delays and the reverbs that I got really into on that first record probably came from that as well because it was nighttime and quite eerie and it was dark. Everyone's asleep. Um, so all the sounds ended up being a bit dreamlike. Yeah, yeah. And and presumably also you you started listening to music that was using those things anyway and attracted you to exploring that world people like Bengo and caribou yeah you know, you know so that they led you down this path and you realized hey i can do this at three in the morning when everybody's asleep and and i can potter away and not piss anyone off yeah yeah and yeah. get some incredible results you no know, so you no know, at what point then you'd added this this ninth that you were talking oh, yeah. about so so that's the original oh, i've put a filter on it so it's oh and that's going through a vibrato as well so there's, that's the one shot. That's how it started. And then, yeah. With processing, the magic of pedals and um, and filters. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Yeah, just put cut the high end out of it, put a, a vibrato pedal on it, um, and some delay. Yeah, and watching you use the keyboard and, and work around the keyboard, you make it seem so simple. Did it take many hours to to be that fluid with it? Yeah, well, it probably took a bit of time. I find Ableton really straightforward, really, really intuitive compared to a lot of the other programs. Yeah, Pro Tools is pretty difficult. I use Pro Tools when I'm recording audio because I think it sounds a little bit better. And uh, Ableton is just amazingly good for sequencing and doing things very fast at a laptop. Mm. So it allows you to be creative and, and record ideas in, in a... Yeah great way quickly very quickly and it's loop based as well yeah which makes you you can build ideas super quickly and the automation function is amazing so you can you can really tailor things tailor sounds and you know cut attack off if you want to just a tiny bit and build things throughout a whole song yeah change filters all sorts so what came next at what point did you feel this is a song and this is something that i am really pleased with the amount of work i put into it you know because it sounds like it's all moving along swimmingly <laughs> yeah i don't really know what i did next i think that might have been pretty much it and then what's the next process so then um at this point in the evolution of glass animals you're already involved with paul epworth um, how did Paul hear of your work and what attracted uh, him to you? So Paul was, we, we had a lady called Amy fishing around from basically day one, from when we put, put our first thing on SoundCloud. I don't know how people find music like that. Um, but she was a scout for Beggars Publishing Company. Um, she got on it, sent us an email we had a meeting with her. She's one of the first people in the music industry we ever met. And we knew no one in the music industry. We were just kids. And 
all of a sudden we had her contacting us lawyer we were like why do musicians need lawyers what's what is all this about so we had a meeting with her and she she like explained the world to us we we're like oh my god she's amazing <laughs> um and she started introducing us to managers because she wanted to sign us to the beggars publishing roster who have another like they've got Sampha and subtract and war paint cat power a few other amazing amazing people mika mm. mika chew in the shapes but she yeah, started shopping us around to all these managers. And we, oh, we hate all of them. They're all sharks. No offense to any managers. Um, there are lots of very lovely managers. And she eventually just said, well, this isn't working. What if I'm your manager and I sign you to the publishing company? And I, we were like, yeah, cool. All right, that sounds great. We've been waiting. It was kind of like a romantic like courtship thing yeah. we've been waiting for her to like pop the question <laughs> and had it. she seen you play she'd heard some stuff on soundcloud had you yeah. done gigs at this point as a band were, were the four of you in place um, this wasn't just dave bailey's thing the four of us were in place and we'd done maybe one really really shit show <laughs> <laughs> i think it was in brighton and i remember she came and she brought an agent with her who's still our agent to this day and after the show, he was, <laughs> Greg was just like, guys, that was, that was terrible. <laughs> um, but we're going to work on it and it's going to be okay. And we're like, oh, damn it. Okay. Wow. That's um, really interesting to show such confidence in yeah. you, even though you just played this terrible show. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I, we were bad. <laughs> um, and Amy, yeah, she was still showing it to people. And one of those people was Paul. Right. Okay. So, and at this point was Paul, the well-established um, successful producer yeah. that he is today and and he was starting this label Wolf Tone he wanted to he? start a label mm. it had been in the back of his mind he hadn't found anyone that he wanted to sign yet and he invited us invited me down to his studio and I went and I remember speaking to him and I was really like I'd never been in a studio before I was a bit weirded out and he said I'm trying to find out if you're like if everything you're doing is just an accident and you're a bit of an idiot or if you're doing everything on purpose and you know what you're doing. And I was like, I, dude, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and But he still saw something in it. I don't know. I felt like so out of my depth. I still do. I still like, yeah. wake up but, and like, what But I'm I watching doing? you fiddle around with your laptop there. And it seems to me you do know what you're doing. You know, and, and just the way that you've been talking about frequencies and, and you know adding and subtracting things and yeah. trying to create. I mean, obviously, there's a trial and error approach to that. Um, but... You have to have a, a a fairly good understanding of of what you can explore. No. Well, we actually we had a very similar conversation to what we were having at the beginning. He was just asking me, you know, what I use and how I got to the sounds. Mm. Um, and I think maybe he was into the fact that he always called me very naive. Um, and I think he liked the fact that I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I was using like weird little plugins that I'd found on the internet that were free and were horror like terribly shit but f finding kind of cool sounds with them um i didn't have any money to buy the real plugins mm. and he i think he was intrigued by it maybe i don't know yeah and at this point i mean he'd had success with adele uh, and was he in church studios had he said not at this point yeah no. he was in a place called beethoven street that's now owned by i think it's idris elba oh right wow yeah but he had he had a studio and it was a studio where mm -hmm. a full band could plug in and and play if they wanted to. So you could you you'd have a drum room maybe. Yeah. And, um, so the 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 uh, 
accoutrements <laughs> of a normal recording studio that we'd think of. You know, it wasn't just a a room. No, because I'm. I, he did just have a room at one point, didn't he? Just where. He, yeah, he know. was telling me about his home studio recently, which yeah. is basically like like this, mm. just a room, just a box. Yeah. But obviously he'd graduated to be able to afford somewhere where you could. He did, yeah. Get graduated with all like he made some records that we loved. So when he when he got in touch, we were like, oh my god, Paul mm. Epworth, like he's that little name on the bottom of all those records we love. Block Party, The Rakes, Maximo Park. I remember he did the Future Heads stuff, and then he did Florence and Dallin. Yeah, yeah. But like really that. interesting, you know, that you had already picked out his name on the sleeves of those records which you know are quite different to what you're doing and also quite di- different to the records that led to such great success for him you know via yeah. you know the rakes or the future heads or maximo park and i mean it's of a, a time and of a certain kind of sound that fitted in really well at that at that time but it wasn't as if you were going for that sound yourselves or you know anything like that you know yeah we just we like the fact that he made really cohesive albums with people that block party record was such a beautiful piece of music as a whole mm. as much as any of those songs were beautiful pieces of music and um that's the kind of record we always wanted to make yeah interesting so you've got gooey you're working on gooey um i presume you've shared it with the band um yeah it looks like i wrote a couple more i wrote like a bridge here and i got it up to basically what you hear in the final recording but really badly recorded and without a few of the details and also this seems to be pitched up a semitone um so i i think i pitched it we all pitched it down a semitone so i could sing it a bit more comfortably right and did you re-record the whole thing or did you just take these sounds that you've already got and then and then pitch them down well so? i can see it looks like i pitched everything down one in the f- in this ableton session and sped it up as well i mm. think that was a poor thing Paul was, he was like in the background very much while we were doing the album and he'd kind of pop his head in and say like, oh, make that faster and then he'd leave. Yeah. Um, right. And so obviously at this point, I mean, he'd met Paul, you would had the discussion, you'd signed to the label and, you know, you're being able to go into his studio in Beethoven Street and, and find things and, and listen to them and play them and, and record them and then walk away with them in effect in your little toolbox. Yeah. And then return to... And then we'd return to do this tough stuff that we couldn't do at home in the bedroom. So like drum kits, vocals, basically. Mm. Um, and I've just been looking at the, the final stems, which um, I, the actual, there were nearly 200 tracks in the final version just because there were so many little details, like bloop and weird samples yeah, um, and sound effects. 200 tracks. <laughs> a lot. That's insane. That's a lot. I, I reckon 75 of them were little sound effects. If you listen through, they're, like, they're tiny little things mm. throughout that just sprinkled in. Um, that definitely came at, like, that's the kind of final stage along with vocals. But I think I very, very, we very gently put a live drum kit in just under the, like, you can hardly hear it really. It comes in the chorus. No, you can't you can't really even hear it that's the right so that's Joe playing along that's just Joe playing along in the background mm. um, kind of following the, the electronic beat that was there but I, I do find if you record a, a live drum kit well it gives everything a, a big space 
um, that's quite hard to get yeah. in the box. Uh, it makes it sound more organic as well. And that was, I always loved trying to make things sound organic. Mm. Um, I guess that's where running around recording organic things and then changing them to something more electronic came from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the final version. Then we had the vocals. Yeah. I remember doing 64 vocal tracks. <laughs> layering, 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 layering. We do, I do, um, there's a thing called the crack choir that you hear it on a lot of records. Actually, if you listen really carefully, you hear people making really weird voices. And I remember Paul talking about it and then I was like, let's put it in this. Um, so there are lots of like strange voice, like singing the chorus in like an old man's voice. Like, and then you stack up loads of different voices, all sorts. You try and do like a a tall posh lady. And <laughs> you make up all these characters right. and you stack them all up and it just sounds like a big choir of mm. loads of different voices. Yeah. And then lead vocal sits on top. Wow, amazing! It's it's really interesting hearing it all broken down in this way, you know. Because I, I've been fascinated by the vocal sound of Glass Animals and trying to work out, you know, how you arrive at it because it's quite unique really no and obviously that's down to your own singing voice but then you you widen it out using things like the crack choir yeah the the crack choir is a big a big use that a lot on the second record as well Mm. um but that those delays very different delay on the right and left i use a lot and i i like to widen it with a little bit of chorus sometimes sometimes a bit of flanger which is something i learned reading about my one of my favorite records of all time is d'angelo's voodoo um, so well recorded um, by Russell El- Elevado, I think his name is. Um, but he would always like do fifteen vocal takes and stack them all up, D'Angelo. Right. And where would the flanger come in? And then they put a little flanger on at the end. Right. Yeah, and it just kind of makes it gives it this like slightly sweeping high end. Mm. Um, makes it sound a little bit wider. Um, I don't think I put the flanger on on this, but it was it was something I did on a couple of other tracks for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So um, pretty much GUI is, is complete here then. Yeah, full track. It came, uh, yeah, it came together pretty quickly, that one. Yeah. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. 
One of our favorite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. So let's have a listen to one of the other songs. So I mean, we've got Hazy and Toes. Toes, you have explained, is a much more of a band thing and the way you recorded mm-hmm. it. And Hazy was the late edition laptop creation. Um, which do you think we should listen to next? Maybe we do Hazy next? Yeah. Okay, excellent. Let's let's hear the completed version. Here it to is. To start. I think this is it. It starts with all this ambient ambient like field recordings that we made. We wanted all the songs to merge into one. Mm. Um so there's all these all these rainforest noises. Me rec- I went and I remember recording owls and things. Young babies falling. You know I'm dancing, you know I'm racing round Oh no, you're so juiced, you said you kick the booze You know I'll get booed, you know I'm just a boy Yeah, it's interesting with all those kind of uh, jungle sounds, you could say. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. Zaba has a kind of Rousseau-like type sleeve. I remember we had a conversation once on the radio uh, about the sleeve, because the sleeve is is great. And now in this studio, your new studio, you've got these fantastic um, palms. That, yeah, <laughs> these what, what plants are these? My babies. Yeah. Yeah, some big old palm trees. This one's already outgrown. I've already had it a little while. It's, yeah, it's going to blow through the roof if I'm yeah. not careful. They grow fast. Yeah, but it's clearly uh, an important thing, I think. You know, this this connection to nature. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I've always loved palm trees. Mm. I also feel like a lot of studios are a bit clinical, um, so having a bit of life is good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Into it. that makes sense. Fresh air. So, Hazy, you said earlier on, was a laptop creation, and yeah. you made it all... And brought it to the band, and they all liked it, and then it just went straight on, <laughs> on the album. And yeah. that sounds so simple. It was, it was really simple. It just happened super, super fast. I think might have been one or two other tracks in the record like that as well, but this one was just very last minute. Like we finished mixing and stuff, and, and this just popped out unexpectedly. Um, what did it start with? It started with this little drum loop. I think this weird percussion. I don't know what they are. All sorts of weird sounds. Like 12 different random sounds, probably a combination of things I'd recorded and things I'd, you know, sounds that I'd found. Um, <laughs> I don't 
don't know what that one is. <laughs> uh, you, you do end up making a lot with your mouth. Yeah. It's the Timberland. Timberland always did that. If you listen to, what is it, Crimea River, mm. um, all, of the, all of the drums are just him. All the hi-hats, it's incredible. Um, so I learned a lot from him. Two different triangles. I love a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the rhythm track first. You put all those bits together. Yeah, it looks like I did that, and then I added some the kick and sub, I think, in one go here. This is the original file that I've got up, version one. Yeah. Then I added... Looks like I don't know what this is. Some hi hats, yeah. It kind of forms the basis of the groove. Mm. Um, and it looks like I added some ambient stuff pretty early. I was really into adding a lot of strange. Here, I think this is just bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably turned the tap on. Yeah, and I've put it through a phaser. Right, and then a, a little resonator as well. Um, yeah, I can play the raw. Oh yeah, a bit of panning, but it's just bubbles. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. What else is in this original? Ah, uh, yeah, it looks like at that point I did the um, I did the little pads. And this is slower than the final version as well. I must have sped it up. But actually that, let's see what that original sound is. It's another one that, oh, it's the same exact note used in GUI, the same sample right. used for the GUI. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, here. But I've put some distortion on it this time, EQ'd it slightly differently. Same sound. Yeah. So. Same as gooey. <laughs> um, I do a lot of kind of recycling like that, but if you treat things differently, yeah, sound yeah, very different. So you, it seems to me, you get into a zone, and you start with something. You start, you know, compiling all these different things, and then building and and layering on top of that. And as you get locked into that groove that you've created, then your imagination starts going and you start exactly. thinking of melody lines, but also words or you know, the yeah. groove puts you in some place. It also, if something, if I feel something is good, I get really excited and things just start like pouring out, mm. absolutely pouring. So all of this probably would have happened in about, uh, I don't know, maybe half an hour, an hour, just mm. super quick. And sometimes I end up getting bogged down in little details. And that's when it starts to happen slowly. But yeah, <laughs> I try not yeah. to let myself do that too often. Would it be quite easy to get bogged down in details, especially when you are, there are so many options. You've got so many options in terms of how you process a sound, in what way you manipulate it. Yeah. You know, that, um, you, but you go on instinct and think, oh, what that needs, I, in my mind, I'd like it to sound softer, harder, quieter, squeakier, whatever yeah. things you've got in mind. I tend to hear the sound and then chase it. Yeah. Um, and if you can get pretty good at find, like making the sound as it's in your head. Mm. I've got a later version of the demo here as well. Just gonna look at this. Oh, this is the final version of the demo. So this is probably, I don't know, 12 hours in. Right. 
it looks like it's nearly done, aside from the vocal. I've put, what, what was next? Oh, some shakers, so. This is another example of just using stuff that's nearby. It's coins that I must have had lying on the table, like these over yeah. here. Um, and I just picked them up and shook them next to the microphone, like that, next to my little Zoom recorder. Um, did that twice, so it's in stereo, panned it left and right. Um, and that forms a lot of the a lot of the groove as well. And I also put this little, uh, it's a very Dr. Dre thing. This shift into the kick, it's like a reverse, reverse kick drum. You hear it just like pushes you in. Yeah. Dr. Dre loves doing that. <laughs> But this is, you know, these are the results of hard study of, of people's records, aren't they? You know, that, you know listening right. and trying yeah. to work out what they've done there, what, how, how did they, they do that. that? Mm. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, I listen for like weird details in songs. Mm. Um, and I, I do spend a bit of time, I remember with this bass line, I was trying to get the sound of uh, Drop It Like It's Hot. Right. You know, that, that bass yeah. sound at the beginning. Um, I think it's close enough. Yeah, yeah, I can see the relation. Definitely, <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time trying to like chase the sounds of my like production gods, yeah. being Pharrell, Timberland, Dr. Dre, and well, Paul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and luckily he's part of the team. No, yeah. which is nice. So, so it seems to me that you know you, you've gathered all of this. So, twelve hours of, of fiddling around. I mean, non-stop, or you know, do, do you walk away from it? Or? Pretty non-stop. I forget mm. to eat. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally forget to eat. Just power through drinking coffee and eating sometimes a piece of chocolate. And then you're 12 hours in, you're like, why am I so tired? <laughs> What's going on? Um, right. So, oh, yeah, you haven't eaten. I don't know what else happened in this. Oh, there's like those little plucks. There's actually three different sounds. That's that albino synth again. A little glock. And what sounds like a bird? What is that? It is a recording of a bird, I think. Oh, and the Jupiter 6, which is my favourite synth of all time, makes a feature in this as well. Well, we've got to this hear it a... now. And is that a plug-in on the computer? This is not a plug-in, actually. This is this guy over here. I've got... It's the real deal for once. Um, but you can do this amazing thing where you take two two oscillators and pitch them very close together and then draw the pitches away and it starts to to warble i don't know if you've ever tried to like tune a guitar but as you're getting the pitches near each other it starts to i don't know i can show you an example of cross modulation if you want but it's really geeky <laughs> <laughs> if you don't if you yeah let's time. do it you sure okay we so should take a picture of the of the jupiter six it's just in the corner there oh yeah it's beautiful um I always just have like a sine wave at the bottom of the session because it is incredibly useful. For st it's like the starting sound for everything. Right. A lot of the time. So here we go. Sine wave. And that's two sine waves playing the same note. And then I can change the pitch of one of them. You hear how it starts pulsing. Mm. And then as you bring the pitches further away, it pulses faster and faster. And so now they're a quarter of a note apart and they're passing pretty quickly. So I love using that. You can like change the speed of that warble and it really like, it feels like it's like tugging on your body. 
Mm. Um, that's what was happening with that Mr. Jupiter 6. So a crucial thing. It kind of, yeah, a bit of cross-modulation. Very, very nerdy. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what else you want to know about this one. Well, I, I'm interested in the vocal now. Oh, yeah. So um, did you go to another studio to record the final vocal for the song? Or? No, so I would have just done it with um, with my... I had a little, uh, very similar to one of these, just a little USB, whatever they're called, interface. Is that what they're called? Um, and just had a... I have something called an Audio Technica 4040 mic. It's reasonably cheap. Mm. That's what I had at the time. And that's what I would have used. I actually think... Um, I don't know if I have the original stem. Let me see if I can get it up. But there's definitely two... I double-tracked the vocal for this. And one of the tracks was just um, through the laptop microphone. Uh, so you can hear the laptop fan. The fan of the laptop features heavily in all of our records. Right. It's always there in the background. I'm always. It sounds pretty decent, the <laughs> microphone and the laptop. Um, so I'm always recording little... Uh, you know, pops and things with that. Even on the second record, there's that song Youth on the second album. That was double track the vocal and the, one of the tracks is on a laptop microphone. Right. I, just, I don't know, there's something about the sound of it to me. I think it's because the fan is a constant presence in my mm. life, as you can hear right now. I just, I like it there. All right, so this is the raw, the raw vocal. No, no, you're so juiced. You said you kicked the booms. You know I get boomed. You know I'm just a boy. Come on, baby, don't you cry. So, I mean, is this a combination of the laptop mic and yeah. the other mic that you'd in plugged the, in? Exactly, in the chorus. Recorded separately they're, or at the same time? They recorded uh, two different takes. Mm. Yeah, I find I find two different... I don't know, it just makes the vocal sound a bit thicker Yeah, doing two takes. And in terms of the lyrics, have you got them written down in front of you or have you got them in your head only? I normally have them on a piece of paper and I'm holding it right in front of me right. like that. And sometimes you can hear the paper like wiggle in the background. <laughs> I don't know if I have an, I don't think I can yeah, find yeah, an no, example sure. of it, but, but it, it sometimes makes it its way onto. A lot. Amazing. Yeah. So combining all those different things ended up with Hazy, which you were happy enough to share with everybody and everybody thought, well, it, it needs nothing else. No, that's fine. We'll just put it straight on the record. Yeah, it, I don't know why. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. It was a bit of a bop. Yeah, but I think that's it's fantastic that you have that as an option. And in contrast to that, we're going to listen to Toes, um, which yeah. is uh, another way of working for Glass Animals, which is a much more studio-bound creation. So let's hear the uh, the final you know, thing that you created, and then we'll kind of have a look at and a listen to how you created it. Divine Ips wine, cause he can't see you. 
that is Toes, as it ended up on the album Zaba. And we've had two different songs, um, one which was completely created by yourself on your own, Dave, and then the other um, where you know, it started in that way and then got completed in the studio. So Paul Epworth is your label boss. You've said that he'd kind of pop his head in and say, oh, pitch that up or speed that bit up and, and then kind of walk away and leave you to it. Um, for yeah. something like Toes, I mean, did he take on more of a, a proactive role in the production for, for this? Because this you came into his studio and recorded as a band. Well, he, he called himself an executive producer rather than a co-producer. Right. Um, he was definitely in the background he's busy mm. he's a busy guy Paul he's doing like the James Bond theme tune and stuff <laughs> so he was he doing that at that time uh, yeah. yeah yeah. so he, he's in and out he's not there the whole time he's he was always trying to say like I want to treat this with kid gloves was his terminology and he just let us do our thing and pop, pop his head in and say like a few words and then get out and leave us to it um, but he, he did leave us his equipment and his engineers which was invaluable Right. So he gave you his kingdom in a way to, to run around in. Yeah, it was um, very, very kind mm. um, as he was off at Abbey Road doing something crazy. Yeah. And so then with Toes, did you just get on with it then in, in that environment and, and start to record it the way you wanted to record it? Yeah, very much. Like I had, I had the idea for it in my head. I knew what I wanted, what I wanted and how I wanted it to sound. And I'd been reading about how to get those sounds. I had this idea for this Beatles-y style bass line and I, st- I started obsessing about how the Beatles recorded everything, reading all these books about it, what amps they used, what guitar strings they used, instruments, all of the lot. So we got as close as we could in Paul's studio. I was like a kid in a candy shop just saying like, oh yeah, this is like pretty similar. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, Paul McCartney was always after that Motown sound. Mm. Um, so I was like looking at all these pictures of how the Beatles recorded their bass and I tried to get something pretty similar to that Motown sound. Mm. So it's like flat wound strings on a bass guitar, put some foam under the bridge and never change your strings. Just let them get disgusting and rusty. That's part of it. And then you have your amp and you kind of mic it up about eight, six to eight feet away. Um, and put it in the middle of the room so you get the whole room shaking around that microphone really adding to the, the bottom end of the sound um, that's that's what we did here right well um, are you able to isolate that I can isolate that so I've got like the original sound was that same recording so this is the original like demo which I actually demoed out using that same recording of a guitar that we'd heard in uh, in GUI Amazing. And the drip sound. Yeah. How, how much um, you've been able to use that? Rinse that one a, recording. Yeah, it's it's in Hazy as well. We didn't yeah, show yeah. it, but it's, uh, yeah, there's a, a riff in Hazy that's using that. Oh, actually, all the guitars in Hazy are all from that uh, one. Oh, that doubled with a normal guitar. Yeah. Anyway, um, same guitar used to demo this out. And I got as far as like this line. And then added this line, which is another, also the same sound, just playing it all on the keyboard. And then I added a little another one with the same sound as well. So that's all the same sample. And then I added the drums.
And is that a proper kit played on the no, drum set? No, this is just... This is still so I the... wanted it to be an, a real kit. Mm. I was like had this kind of vintage drum sound in my head. Um, and I got as close as I could on the computer. Yeah. Uh, and then we recorded it properly. We let yeah. Joe go for it a bit and put a couple extra fills in. Um, this is where the kind of boys' musicianship really comes into its own. Just give Ed a bass guitar, say play something like this, and he he goes for right. It, adds so his they own hear this, um, and you then um, once they've got it, then you ditch this. Yeah. So I, I think I added a couple more little layers. There's that, and there's. couple little synths and the vocal line is in here really really roughly it's like recorded through the laptop mic Mm. um and it was at that point that yeah took it took it into the studio and started building on everything yeah and so then did you go for um uh, a group take or did you do everything separately we would have done everything separately just because I was afraid. I'd, like This was the first music I'd ever really recorded in the studio and had no idea what I was doing. So I felt safer mm. recording like that. On the on the newest album, I, I tried to do a lot of like full takes, um, keep it really spontaneous and raw. But this would have been absolutely, yeah, drums done, then yeah. bass done, then a f- I think a few extra guitars and the vocals. There's not actually that much going on in the song. Yeah, and at what point? When when are we talking? Is this 2013 that you're recording? This this will be yeah, very end of 2013. Yeah. So and in terms of uh, experience as a band, you, you had played live, but not that much. Couple of shows. We wouldn't yeah. have played any of these songs live right. before recording them. It mm. was very much do it in the studio, learn how to play it live, play it live. Yeah. But obviously, you know that you have to make a lot of concessions. We never wanted to be one of those live bands that just played exactly the same thing as on mm. record that was so boring to us i really loved like f- the way folds played live where everything was just a kind of completely different take on the song mm. um and everything had to be live and there's no backing tracks i hate backing tracks so much that's why i took that from lcd sound it's another one of my favorite bands who like have this philosophy no backing tracks live yeah. it's all got to be made from the stage um so we took that philosophy which does mean you have to strip things back and choose the important parts yeah, yeah. After putting two hundred things on on After a particular having, yeah, two hundred <laughs> stems, <laughs> amazing. And so um, you record those parts individually in the studio in Beethoven Street mm-hmm. um, um, using uh, Paul's setup. Um, and yeah. then did he come in to have a listen to to toes in the end? Or yeah, he definitely would have done. I think because he, he would have been surprised. Um, no, in terms of oh, this is this is more like. A like band. a real band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember what he would have said. He Usually what he had to say was like structural or it needs more here. Mm. Um, that chorus could be bigger. Those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah ways to add to your creation. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd kind of let us go work out how to do it. Yeah. Um, but this, you know, this one didn't change that much. You can you can really see how it stemmed from the demo. It's pretty yeah. it's pretty similar. The live yeah, drums yeah. do sound way better. Yeah. So let's hear some of the let's hear some of the bits that you recorded in the studio. Then I mean that bass sound that you were striving for the 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 drum sound that Joe yeah, played. Yeah. Um, 
we go for bass. So actually the stem seems to have been bounced out with the classic reverse kick built into it. But yeah, that's it. When you put that foam under the strings and using those old flat wounds, you get this sort of hollow, woody sound. And would that have been played along to the drums from your demo? Yeah. Yeah. He would have played that along to the demo drums, which were, yeah, they seemed like really lazy. I think Joe t made them a little bit more on, on the beat. It looks like I've put some samples in on top of the snare mm. as well. And a weird, like a, I quite, I quite like recording the mechanics of, of drums when they're being played. So I put mics in really weird places. I put, I remember putting a mic down by the kick pedal. So you get the kind of creaking of it. You can hear yeah. that. Maybe it's gone now. Let's see if I can find. But the there creaking. was a creak. There was a creak. You can hear bit. it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. actually the kick pedal. That's that really was the kick pedal, and there are always kind of weird noises going on when people are playing drums, and I like finding those and cutting them out and then making them part of the the loop mm. almost. So there's a bit you can hear some like white noise as well. You hear that white white mm. noise on the downbeat. That was probably just some weird thing that came in another microphone while he was recording the drums and I, I probably just copied it through all the kicks. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know, I always do that. Put a little microphone under the drum seat sometimes and <laughs> you can get the sound of their butt. I, it all adds to the atmosphere of it. You were saying earlier on about how you had this idea of the sound of this song in your head and... So when you hear that in your head, are you also thinking about the sound of a squeaky drum stool? And I mean, is, is it all part of that? Well, yeah, I, knew I wanted it to be quite intimate. The drums, and to get that intimacy, I think you need those little details. Mm. Um, it's quite an introspective song, um, and I wanted it to sound like those old can recordings. I don't know if you know Tega yeah. Mago, and the, those are some of my favourite recordings. But they have that. They have these kind of tiny details in. They've just left in little mistakes yeah. that make it feel very, very intimate. Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because they might have only used a handful of mics and mm -hmm. let Jackie Leibovitz do his thing. Yeah. And, you know, if he was moving up and down on the stool and creating a squeak, then would that have would have been, been it. it right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. I guess I wanted to exaggerate that. Yeah. And maybe now um, studio environments are much more clinical and so kind of try and erase those human elements that would yeah, come in a in lot those of older studios. Conventional mic technique is mm. probably trying to get some of those sounds out and stop bleed. Yeah. But I, I embrace it all. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. And yet combine it with synths and found sounds and, you know, a whole other sound world and sound palette that would in some people's minds represent the opposite of that organic yeah. way of recording. You no, know, it's it's a combination of the two, isn't it? Yeah. And the two worlds colliding. That's always what I loved in music when the organic stuff merges with the the digital stuff and sounds yeah, sounds natural. Yeah. 
It's amazing. It's, it's fantastic and fascinating to hear it all broken down in this fashion and get that kind of detail. Uh, it, it's amazing. And we actually have more questions, but not from me, but oh, from, right. from other people, from your fans, people really? who have listened to oh, your wow. music um, and are as fascinated by it as us. And, and so I just wanted to go through a couple of these questions quickly and see, sure, yeah. see what you made of it all. Um, Caitlin or Catelyn in Brixton wants to know, when you're creating a track, do you think about how you will perform it live or do you work that out later? Uh, when we're, yeah, when I'm in the studio, I never think about the live situation. I think they're totally different. You can't set yourselves those limits in the studio. It's not fair. Yeah. George in New York, is there a plug-in you can't live without? Ah, <laughs> few plugins I really love. I love that Albino synth, not because it's good particularly, but just because I've grown up with it. And I don't even think it works on... Mo I've got a very old operating system on this computer just so that plugin works. I don't think it works on new operating systems. I also love a lot of the sound toy stuff. I've been getting into that recently. There's a MicroShift plugin I think is absolutely brilliant and Decapitator is brilliant. And I use a few tape plugins. This Kramer MPX plugin is wonderful. Right. Uh, Jasper in Denver, what's your approach to recording guitars? Do you ever plug straight into your DAW or use amp emulators? Um, I do, yeah. A lot of the UAD emulators are great. I tend to use those when recording other artists, though, and doing production for other artists, because you can try out lots of different sounds and help them find what they want really quickly, but I kind of know what I want. So I I have two amps mainly. I've got this. It's very similar to a Vox AC30. That sounds wonderful. It's actually a Laney VC30. Um, it's one of my favorite sounding amps of all time. And then I use a uh, Fender Deluxe 57. Um, it's my other favorite amp, and I always mic them up just you you don't need anything more complicated than a 57 an sm57 sure they cost not next and you can buy used ones for like 35 quid or something mm. that's that's what i use to record all the guitars and all the records and i i do i do take both i take a direct line and a uh and a mic'd sm57 track but i almost always just use the mic um katie wants to know katie and alton wants to know what's the best piece of advice you've been given as a producer and as a musician? Whoa. The best piece of advice, uh, I think, is probably to just trust your gut instinct. That is really important. The way you feel about something when you first hear it, I think you have to remember how you felt because that's invaluable. That's how everyone else is going to feel when they first hear it. Um, don't forget that. Yeah. And I think this would be a good final question from Nat in Brighton who says, at what point... Do you know a track is finished? Ah, I, th I think albums and songs are kind of a snapshot of who you are at a certain period of time. What you're into sonically, how good you are at your instruments, what you can do musically um, at a, over a certain period of time. So if you let it kind of drag on too long, it, I think it becomes a bit garbled um, and loses its coherence a bit. So normally... I sort of set a deadline for the whole project and that make, puts the pressure on and then I don't let myself work on it anymore after that time. So the date would go by and then it's right, the date's passed, that's it, I'll leave it now. Date's passed and it does mean in like the two weeks up to it, you know, you're do doing all-nighters and stuff. Mm. It's like being back at school and finishing that essay. I think it's important to give yourselves those deadlines. But yeah. I, don't, I don't ever really... The song's never finished. You could work on it forever. Yeah. 
I, I'm also getting this philosophy at the moment where if you overdo something, I learned this during the first record, I was overthinking things and overperfecting everything and it started to sound, I think the first record sounds a bit clinical. It was the second record, I wanted it to be more spontaneous and it has a bit more energy to it. And I think that that comes from giving myself a bit too much time on everything. Mm. Yeah. It's great. It's been absolutely fascinating to be able to come here to the new home studio and and listen to how you've created that first album and brilliant to go back in time in that way. Um, and I, I look forward to hearing the results of the new recordings that are going to go on here in London Fields. Yeah, fingers crossed they'll, they'll be good. Yeah, I can't wait to hear them. Dave, thanks so much. Oh, it's been a total pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And to play us out while we close up shop here in London Fields at Dave's studio. Let's hear more of Toes by Glass Animals. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, tell your friends about us, and make sure you're subscribed so you can enjoy the latest episodes when they're released. Tape Notes is brought to you by In The Woods. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, plus check out their barn sessions on YouTube. All links are in the episode description. Until next time, I'm John Kennedy, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.